Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes if you can give it to me. I am going to give you the world. My broadcast partners are standing by with reports from every corner of the world, helping us to understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. Guess what? We're back here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, just prior to going on the air, I was talking with Ken Temmerman. He's our first broadcast partner, talks about geopolitical activities. And he was bragging about being in sunny Florida, how beautiful the weather is. Ken, I left that cold country in Illinois. I'm halfway down to Florida, got to Chattanooga. Uh, keep me a place down there while I'll try to come down and get warm. Uh, I'll keep you a warm seat next to the pool, Jimmy. <laughs> Won't seat next to the pool. Well, that sounds good to me. Ken, we'll get back to you in just a moment. I want to remind everybody that if indeed you give me the 90 minutes, I'm going to give you a lot of broadcast partners. John Rood, an update on Brexit and what's happening and the possibility of a second referendum. Tony Blair's trying to make that happen. You maybe have heard of that name. Colonel Bob McGinnis from the Pentagon will join us also as we get into information that Bob brought back from Hawaii. He was out there in Hawaii. Many of the military leaders across that part of the world and even into the European Union were able to get together and talk about some strategy for this upcoming year and what they're going to do with Russia and China. We'll get to that. Jim Jr., he's on his way to Petra with the tour group. Boy, Petra, if you've never been there, it's an impregnable city. It's a beautiful city, one of the seven wonders of the world. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today, so keep the dial set right where it is. Well, in sunny Florida, we find our broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman, who has all the geopolitical news. Ken, I've got to ask you. I'm going to ask our man who covers the Middle East, David Dolan, in just a moment. But President Trump made an announcement, basically, uh, through his Twitter, uh, that indeed there is going to be a recognition by the United States of the sovereignty over the Golan Heights. And the Secretary of State is there in Israel at the time. Boy, this is something else. Do you think this is a a very important move that has been made by the president? Uh, absolutely, Jimmy. It's a strategic determination made by the president. Clearly, it follows the recognition of Jerusalem as the eternal capital of Israel. But it also uh, follows recent events just this past week. It shows, in my view, how this president is to react to things going on on the ground in the Middle East. We're going to talk about that during the next uh, 15 minutes or so, but I believe uh, the president recognizing the Golan Heights as Israeli sovereign territory is a direct response to recent moves by Iran, Iraq, and Syria to expand the Iranian control of uh, Syria, to move Iranian troops close to Syria, and Iran's buildup of a militia, an armed militia, infiltrating into the Golan Heights. So this, I think, is a strategic move, and it's something, again, that shows that the president has got his eye on the ball. And it has geopolitical ramifications as well. That's why I wanted your word on this. 
We'll bring David Dolan to these mics, and we'll find out what Israel is thinking about it as well. I did say the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, is there in Israel. He's on his way, I think, today or yesterday in Lebanon and dealing with the Hezbollah situation. Uh, They are a real threat for Israel that needs to be reckoned with, and I do believe the Secretary of State may make some comments about that. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Secretary Pompeo announced already while he was in Jerusalem over Purim that he would be going to Lebanon to tell them very clearly, both the President Aoun and the Prime Minister uh, Saad Hariri, that the United States does not consider Hezbollah to be a legitimate political organization. And uh, they do not agree with General Aoun, who says that Hezbollah's weapons are uh, completely legitimate. By the way, there's an interesting disconnect between Aoun, the president, and the prime minister, Saad Hariri, uh, where Aoun is supporting Hezbollah, is pro-Hezbollah. He is a Christian, and Hariri, who's a Sunni Muslim, is against Hezbollah. So, you know, you have this disconnect already inside the uh, Lebanese government, which is quite interesting. But uh, I think Pompeo is going to go there and read them the riot act. I do believe he will do that as well. Meanwhile, the Iranian commander of uh, the military forces is saying that all of Israel uh, could be an easy target for any Hezbollah missile. So this is a part of the reason for the trip by the Secretary of State, but uh, it needs to be dealt with for sure. Absolutely. It is a part of the reason for uh, Secretary Pompeo's trip. And just recently, the Israelis uh, detected yet another new missile factory, most likely built by Iran in Syrian territory, just a few miles away from the Lebanese border. So the missile threat from Hezbollah against Israel is getting bigger by the day. Uh, You know, we've, we've spoken on this show, Jimmy, about how the Iranians are now sending in GPS kits. These are guidance kits in suitcases hand carried by individuals or shipped on Iranian civilian aircraft on commercial aircraft to Lebanon so they can be installed clandestinely on the rockets. Israel can't attack those civilian airliners, obviously, and and that's making things more difficult. So this new missile factory in uh, Syria is there to augment the threat against Israel, specifically there to make missiles that are targeting Israel. Well, and let's uh, continue on the thought about Iran read an interesting article, passed it along to you, want to see what your thoughts are, that Iran is preparing to go to war with Israel. We hear that all the time. Is this more serious now? Um, I think it is more serious. They have been building up to this for a number of years. But look at what they're doing, piece by piece by piece. This is a long chess game. The Iranians, remember, invented the game of chess, and they are clearly playing chess in both Syria and in Lebanon. They have now succeeded in essentially turning Syria, just as they've done with Lebanon, into a vassal state, a state which depends uniquely on Iran for its very survival. They have uh, subordinated the Syrian military to their control. The Revolutionary Guards Quds Force, Qasem Soleimani, controls both Syria and Lebanon, and to a great degree, Iraq. So just this past week, You've seen a meeting of the military commanders, the top military officers of Syria, Iraq, and Iran uh, meeting together in Syria, but at a meeting that was convened by the Iranians, (laughs) by the Iranians to coordinate their uh, military operations to 
ensure that the land bridge from Tehran right up to Israel's border that passes through Iraq into Syria is formally opened. They're talking about opening the border crossing in Al-Qaim just coincidentally, just a couple of miles away from that border crossing is where the final battle to defeat ISIS uh, took place this week. So now, with ISIS gone, Iran is ready with Iraq and Syria to formally open that road to Israel's border, the strategic land bridge. Well, let me see if I got this correct now. You're saying that the border between Syria and Iraq, which the United States wants closed, and they're really hindering that being opened up, that needs to be opened up so Iran can put their land bridge in place all the way from the Persian Gulf, really, to the Mediterranean, from Iran over there to Lebanon, which we're talking about. And that would allow them to come over and then move south and move into Israel and accomplish what Bible prophecy calls for. That's absolutely right, Jimmy. And so they are working now on the ground physically to open that border at Al-Qaim, the one that the U.S. wants to keep closed, as as you mentioned, so they can move large numbers of troops and weapons directly on the ground from Iran through Iraq into Syria and right up to the Israeli border. You're absolutely right. Well, now, if that border is opened up between Syria and Iraq and the U.S. troops are still there, that could cause some problems on the ground Is that why Iran wants, and Syria wants, the United States out of Syria as quickly as possible? Yes, and they're declaring this openly now. They've got a a, a declaration by the military chiefs. That was one of the accomplishments of this meeting last week uh, of the Iraqi, Syrian, and Iranian military chiefs. They are now openly calling for a withdrawal of all U.S. forces from the region. That means from Syria. It also means from Iraq. And the Iranians believe that they can create a similar military system in Iraq as they have in Iran. In other words, the Iraqi army to defend the borders of the country, and then the Hashdashabi, these popular mobilization forces, about 100,000 Iraqi Shiites controlled by Iran there to support the regime, to defend the Iraqi regime, the Shiite regime in Iraq, the regime in Iraq, which is increasingly becoming a vassal state to Iran. So Iran has its eye on controlling Iraq completely. They already control Syria. They very much control Lebanon with the goal of moving troops and heavy weapons across Iraq right up to the Israeli border for that final battle. You don't see that there's any way they could reverse what they're doing and get out of there. In other words, I'm saying prophecy is going to happen. It looks like we're moving closer every single day. I don't see how it would reverse and and be delayed for a long time. The only way to reverse or to delay it is for the United States to directly confront the Iranians. So far, we have not done that. President Trump has agreed to keep some U.S. forces in Syria. But if we keep 1,000 troops in Syria and the Iranians march through there, with 10,000 or 20,000 troops, our men are going to be basically a tripwire, a sacrificial force. And has the United States government, has, has the Congress, have the people of the United States gotten ready or approved a major war with Iran? I don't think they have. Yeah. I don't think they've even been briefed on what that might mean. So unless you have a, a significant U.S. commitment to impede the Iranians from moving across that border, they're going to go. They are going to go, and as I often say, 
Current events setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That is the absolute reason we bring our broadcast partners, and in particular, Ken Timmerman, to this broadcast table. Ken, thank you so very much for your update on geopolitical activities. We'll do it next week. We need you. We need that report. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go to David Dolan. I mentioned we'd talk to David. We're going to talk to him about what President Trump said as he talked about the Golden Heights yesterday. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We've got David Dolan standing by. Promised he would be here with his Middle East news update. Want you to hear what he has to say, especially about the pronouncement from Donald Trump last night related to the Golan Heights. Boy, that is very interesting information. You know, we have tours, and later on in the broadcast, I'm going to bring Jim Jr. to this broadcast table. He's in Israel, down on the Red Sea, getting ready to go to Petra, and that's going to be an interesting conversation and trip for those who make their way over to this, one of the seven wonders of the world. We do tours. Love to have you come and go with us. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. All the information you need, the dates, the costs, the itinerary, everything. Joshua Travel at prophecytoday.com. Okay, let's go to David Dolan. He has been stationed in the Middle East for over 35 years. He knows what's happening there. And David, this has to be a great story, a headline, of course, in Israel, 
that President Trump said it's about time for the United States and every other nation in the world to recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Your thoughts? Well, Jimmy, it's a tremendous pronouncement from the U.S. president, for sure. And, of course, as he likes to do, he tweeted it out (laughs) and said, I'm quoting, after 52 years, it's time for the United States to fully recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, which is of critical strategic and security importance to the state of Israel and regional stability. Well, that couldn't have been dictated by Prime Minister Netanyahu any more <laughs> fully than, than that statement. In other words, it's exactly what the Israelis wanted to hear. And in fact, Netanyahu tweeted back that at a time when Iran seeks to use Syria as a platform to destroy Israel, President Trump boldly recognizes Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Thank you, President Trump. Well, it also came, Jimmy on the Feast of Purim, the annual feast day in Israel where they commemorate the wonderful triumph over ancient Iran, if you will, ancient Persia, when, of course, there was the decree to kill all the Jews and uh, Esther and Mordecai, and we all know the story in the book of Esther, and the Jews were delivered miraculously. So this is what people are saying. This is another sort of Purim miracle happening. Of course, it's just the president's announcement. It doesn't mean that it has now become fully U.S. policy. It has to go through some more channels before that. But you and I talked about this two or three weeks ago when it was first suggested by Senator Ted Cruz, actually, and a couple other Republican senators and congressmen that the U.S. should recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights at that time. That looked like a long shot. No Democrats supported it. Uh, even Jewish senators and congressmen and women were not uh, supportive of that from the Democratic side. But here we have the President of the United States making this declaration while his Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, was in Jerusalem visiting the Western Wall, the holiest site of uh, the Jewish people, the Temple Mount, uh, the base of that, with Prime Minister Netanyahu praying there uh, with him. Of course, uh, Pompeo, a born-again Christian, doing that. So this is all very, very meaningful to the Israelis, Jimmy. And I pointed out so many times, I wrote about it in my first book, it was intended that the Golan be part of the Jewish state. When all of this was being drawn up in the early part of the last century, the Sans Pico Accord, it was supposed to be part of Israel. It's a long story between the British and the French that had the mandates there that they decided that, no, this would be part of Syria, but it is a critical strategic plateau, as the president pointed out, and uh, if the United States were to recognize that sovereignty, it would be very, very meaningful. But, of course, the Syrian government immediately rejected it. The Arab League has rejected it. The Gulf Cooperation Council has already issued a statement against it. It's not as if the rest of the world is going to just say, oh, okay, this has changed, and now we recognize this. Nevertheless, it is an important statement and part of a larger uh, action that's going on concerning Iran. So again, this is Purim, and (laughs) to have this all happening now is very, very meaningful. And again, we're seeing biblical prophecy unfolding, and the war between Israel and Syria is coming. It's clear that this will be another factor in it, but uh, I believe very firmly that the Golan Heights 
the Strategic Plateau, as it's called. I visited it many, many times. It's a beautiful area, as you know. You mentioned the tours. You take people up there. I've been up there many times. But we know Hezbollah's operating right on the border there. We know that the forces against Israel are right there in Iran, of course, consolidating their control, basically, over Syria and Lebanon to the north of Israel. But this will remain in Israeli hands, and at least we have the U.S. officially saying we recognize the importance of this to the Jewish state, and that is very, very welcome in Israel. You mentioned that the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, was in Israel and went down to the Western Wall. That's a very interesting first, I do believe, for any Secretary of State yeah, from the United States. He was there, though, to talk about a number of things, but I'm just wondering. I mean, my mind thinks that hey, maybe this was a political move by both the United States and Israel to help the re-election of Prime Minister Netanyahu. you have any thoughts on that? Well, it certainly doesn't hurt him to uh, have a good friend in the White House, and, of course, the relations between President Obama and Benjamin Netanyahu were not very sterling, to say the least, a very cold. And to have a, a friend and a supporter in President Trump is very important to Netanyahu, and it certainly does help boost his re-election chances. And there's been some other developments this week. I won't go into the weeds, Jimmy, but his main opponent, Benny Gantz, is in trouble. It's now been confirmed that his cell phone was hacked by Iran, and uh, the prime minister this week hinted that he knew that uh, his government and his people, his security people, know what information they got from Gantz and that it would be bad enough that he could be basically controlled by Iran. They would have a say over what he could do or not do. Well, we haven't had the details of that, but we do know, and it has been confirmed by Gantz, that his phone was indeed hacked by Iran. Uh, this was uh, some years ago in 2012. He's, of course, a former chief of staff and running now to replace Netanyahu. So that's uh, helped Netanyahu's chances of re-election uh, very much this week. But nevertheless, to have President Trump uh, say these things, to have Mike Pompeo in Jerusalem, all these things are very important. But, Jimmy, we had these reports from over half a year ago now that the United States and Israel had basically decided that Iran has to be militarily confronted, that there's no way to avoid it. It's not the choice of the U.S. or Israel. I've mentioned it many times. Israel never invited this country, Iran, that they had good relationships uh, with uh, under the Shah of Iran until 1979. They didn't invite them to come and attack them. They didn't invite them to come and form the Hezbollah militia in Lebanon they didn't invite them into Syria to support the Assad regime. They didn't invite them into Gaza to support Hamas and Islamic Jihad and all these other nefarious actions that Iran has taken. Iran is on the warpath, not Israel. But if someone else is warring against you, as the Bible says, you have to take notice of it, and you have to sometimes take action against it. And it looks to me, and many observers like, indeed, the U.S. and Israel have decided that a war with Iran is inevitable, that they have to get ready for it, they have to do everything they can to defeat this nefarious force. We've had also the announcement this week from President Trump that 400 American troops will remain in Syria. We had that a couple weeks ago, but he confirmed that. 200 at an Air Force base right along the Jordanian-Syrian border. 
very important to Israel that all this is happening, Jimmy. But we are looking for war, but we're looking for Israel's ultimate triumph and not its destruction, as we've talked about. Iran vowing they will destroy Israel. This isn't going to happen. And a Purim is a reminder that in ancient times, God delivered. In modern times, the same God is there, and he will deliver again. High alert in Israel and out in the areas, Judea and Samaria, during Purim, right? Jimmy, we've had intense violence, a number of Palestinians killed in Judea and Samaria, attacks against Israelis beginning on Sunday in several locations, definitely heating up there, Jerusalem as well, the Gaza Strip, very, very tense. Palestinians announcing that next week's march of return on Friday will be huge, that they plan to bring millions of people out into the streets. We'll see about that. But Israelis are prepared for conflict on all of these fronts, Jimmy. But again, people facing this also look up to God a little bit more. I mean, it's a sobering situation. I've been in Israel on the eve of several wars, as you know. You've been there, too, and it's always a sobering time, but a time of reflection and a time of prayer. And a prayer is needed. We can't just say, well, it'll all be fine. There's going to be casualties. There's going to be a lot of tears. But God is in control, and that's the bottom line. That is the bottom line, and it's the reason why we bring David Dolan to these broadcast microphones so you can hear these reports. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, a short break. We'll be back with John Rood. He has a European Union update. What's the latest on Brexit? That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Hey, guess what? As I said, I'm here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee, the international headquarters for Prophecy Today. Good to be home. We'll be home a couple of days, and we're looking forward to the time we'll be able to rest up and get ready to go again out on a long journey. Boy, in the summer, we're going up to Wisconsin. Should be up there maybe six, seven weeks. It's going to be a great, great time ahead. Looking forward to being with you people across the countryside as we travel the rest of this year. Well, as promised, John Root is coming to this broadcast table and the microphone. And there's only one subject, John, we can really talk about. That's Brexit. Looks to me, John, like the Prime Minister, Theresa May, has been able to get an extension, but not as long as she wanted. She wanted to June the 30th. They gave her some time in May, 
and they're going to allow the British Parliament to go back and uh, maybe see if they can get some more votes. What do we know? Well, there's a macro and a micro approach to this. Uh, <laughs> the micro is very complex, as, as we always state, of all the dates and the shuffling. But the macro is, how long will all this really extend? So Theresa May is going to attend the European Union Summit in Brussels, asking for an extension until June 30th, which should avoid some of the votes for the European Parliament elections, because this is a... This is a big problem. It's been now a thousand days since the United Kingdom has voted to leave the European Union. And here there's the possibility that they'll be voting for parliament members in a group that they won't be represented. But everything hinges now on the third attempt to pass the withdrawal agreement. There's only a, what I'm seeing is a 5% chance that that would pass. If it does pass, then the Brexit date is May 22nd. If it doesn't pass, the new Brexit date is April 12th. And what happens then is they have to decide if there's going to be a new deal or they leave with a no deal. Jimmy, I think what's happening here is we're going to come into, you know, the uncertainty is going to play but I think what we're going to come into a situation where there's actually two deadlines, so to speak. There'll be a deadline on how are we to proceed, and then there'll be another deadline on when are we actually leaving. Yeah, well, again, we don't know exactly what is going to happen. The French president is making a statement that a no-deal Brexit will happen if the British members of the parliament reject May's plan again. Now, who is he to say that? But uh, he's pretty strong in the EU, so he may have some influence on that vote. Well, the EU doesn't have a lot of people to step up to the plate in terms of leadership to, to speak on their behalf. So he's taking opportunity to put some pressure. Uh, it does appear that if the third vote attempt or the withdrawal agreement fails, which is almost certain, then the pressure is you're going to have a no deal. So he's using this as a leverage to be able to extend some leadership. How he's perceived in France has not been very positive. It's just a, you know, more of the mix. It does appear, though, that the no, even there's so much talk of all these resolutions and possibilities, a no deal is still very possible. Well, and I would think, as I've looked at everything, a new referendum might well be possible if indeed they don't come to some kind of conclusion. Uh, Tony Blair was challenged. He said that uh, Pierce Morgan, who was the talk show host here in America for a while now in Europe, he made the statement to Tony Blair, you're going to have hell to pay if there's another referendum. That is a possibility, and boy, that will really mess it all up, won't it? Well, that's the thing, is if we get in this situation with the, the third withdrawal agreement doesn't pass, and then we're into another uh, Brexit date April 12th, we have to come up with a new deal in that situation. So Tony Blair, he's always been the person that's the supporter for a second referendum. It's amazing how he's still on the scene. Whenever I bring him up, it's, he's almost seen a, you know, as an irrelevant political has-been, but uh, he's almost a, a voice for the European Union in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, of course, he's a Labor Party 
prime minister at the time that he served. Uh, Labor Party's going through big, big situations and transitions now. It would be a little better if he focused on that than trying to go at the forefront of the EU. A second referendum, anything is a possibility when we have this uncertainty of there must be a deal that's completely new. Even uh, Boris Johnson at one time said, he would expect when all these deadlines finally come down that there'll probably be some deal that hammered out in the last five minutes before midnight. You made a very interesting statement right there, John. Anything is possible. So therefore, we'll keep you on top of this story for us as we continue to look. Remember, the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. We see all of this coming about as we move into the end-time scenario found in Bible prophecy. John, thank you so very much. Have a great week. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy, and that's exactly right. It's the political that is the the purpose of what's projecting the European Union. They want a political union. Very important report coming from John Rood. However, we don't have a whole lot to add about Brexit, except it has been delayed And we think we have a date for that in May. But the possibility of a second referendum, boy, that's interesting. Tony Blair's efforts to make that happen. Well, we're going to change the scene to the Pentagon in the city of Washington, D.C., basically the military capital of the entire world, since we're the number one power in the world, at least at this time. We go to Colonel Bob McGinnis. He works in the area, he's retired military in the Army, but works in the area of strategic planning at the Pentagon. Now, do I understand, according to your little news outlets that you give us, these alerts along the way, Bob, that you were out in Hawaii on duty? I was, Jimmy. I teach a course at the War College, and occasionally we go to Hawaii and then to Europe uh, to teach the course. So, um, yeah, I'm fresh back from there. Fresh back from there. And then before we went on the air in the break, you told me it was hailing there in Washington. Well, that's good. Go to the beautiful parts of the world and then have to come back home. Well, a couple of interesting comments that you've sent out in these alerts that I've taken notice of, and especially in light of your books, Future Wars and Alliance of Evil. You talked about that today America is at a time of a clear and present danger. And then you talked about posturing. I want to get both of those, have you explain what it's about, and tell us what our clear and present dangers well might be. You describe that. Tell, just make it so the layman eavesdropping on the conversation might understand that term and talk about some of those dangers. Well, uh, first posturing, Jimmy, is where we exercise and station our troops and have forward-located uh, equipment. For instance, in Diego Garcia, south of the Persian Gulf, we've used the British uh, islet there to preposition all sorts of equipment. We have ships there, we have an airfield there, and so forth. Uh, and we use that facility during the Gulf War as well as the invasion of Iraq. Uh, Of course, we have facilities literally in every continent around the world where we fly in and take that equipment. Right now we have troops that have flown from Fort Bliss, Texas, into Berlin, picking up their equipment in Poland that has been prepositioned in the Netherlands. 
And this is fairly commonplace. And so that's what we call posturing around the world. And you know, we have uh, all sorts of plans uh, in place and plans for the future. Now, clear and present danger. Well, d- d- uh, no, just a second, yeah. Bob. Let me uh, ask you a bit more about posturing. Do you have uh, in your strategic planning there at the Pentagon, do you have certain locations, certain geographical locations around the world where you're going to do that? And how do you then prioritize those? Well, those are prioritized based upon the national strategy. Uh, the president publishes a national security strategy. The Secretary of Defense has a national defense strategy, and then, of course, we have strategies I can't talk about that you know, give us very specific guidance as to what the priorities of the federal government are uh, with regard to our national security. Now, of course, the, the ones that are uh, you know, unclassified talk very clearly about our primary near-peer adversaries, Russia and China. Well, of course, that would obviously flop over into you know, the, the classified guidance, which is far more prescriptive as to what we will do and what we won't do and where we'll station and the types of exercises and the types of munitions we have to be ready to use and so forth. So there are a variety of things that go into the whole notion of posturing. And then are you responsible or your team responsible for moving the troops from here to there and making certain they're in position to do this posturing? Well, I can't talk about that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm involved in helping us prepare to work with partners around the world. Uh-huh. And, of course, we have, uh, in the order of 190 nations, we have 140 nations where we have military personnel, you know, a few or a lot. And, of course, uh, we help them to work with those partners uh, to promote our national interests as well as their own. I understand that you're not able to talk about certain things, but you know, as a journalist, i got to push <laughs> so that we can find out information. But this is so interesting because it plays a key role, does it not, in the defense for the United States military operation for America? Well, of course. You know, we, much like during the Cold War, Jimmy, we had uh, between three hundred and 400,000 troops in Europe. Today we have about 65,000. A lot of aircraft, a lot of tanks. Today we have very few. And, of course, uh, you know, in the open press, you've read about uh, the desire by the administration and by our, some of our allies in Europe to increase our presence there. That's why we are constantly in Poland and the Baltics and elsewhere doing exercises to reassure our partners that, you know, we're not going to abandon them. And, of course, uh, President Trump has in- emphasized the importance of strengthening NATO and calling our allies to account for at least 2% of their GDP to be spent on defense. Now, only four do that, uh, and so that creates some real problems because they over-rely upon the United States to come to their rescue, but things have radically changed since the end of the Cold War in December the 26, 1991, and essentially the infrastructure that we once had there we no longer have with uh, minor exceptions, and so we can't just fly entire divisions of forces and jump on our tanks and you know, go to the front. Uh, the Russians know that, and so that's creating a lot of consternation on those uh, allies, especially uh, right on the Russian border, such as Poland. All right. Now, excuse me for interrupting you a while ago. Let's go now to the clear and present dangers that you have been able to determine and your team. Talk to us about that a bit. 
Well, clear and present danger, you know, that, that was a, a title that, um, you know, an author used years ago for a, a fictional a portrayal of the threat posed during the Cold War. Uh, I would argue that it's a clear and present danger today, given that we have two primary adversaries, one in the Pacific and one in Europe. Uh, of course, that's Russia and Vladimir Putin and his uh, building up of a modern, a very sophisticated, a very capable military. Although his economy is suffering, uh, he's pouring a lion's share of his uh, discretionary uh, money into building a very, very capable military, one that, you know, is, is as capable as ours in many ways. And, of course, when we aren't there, uh, he has the opportunity like a fox in a hen house. Now, in the East, of course, you've seen you know, President Xi Jinping, Jinping uh, who is, you know, really playing games with us in the South China Sea, declaring that his uh, sovereign you know, territory, you know, intimidating the Japanese, uh, manipulating Kim Jong-un of North Korea, uh, and, of course, using the Belt and Road Initiative, which he started in 2013, uh, to spread now to 123 nations around the world. And he's kind of like peanut butter spread uh, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure and used predatory loans, uh, basically, to you know, build up a client states uh, in every single continent. Most recently, interestingly, are four ports in Italy where the prime minister of Italy says their Chinese are not going to take over. But, you know, we've seen the Chinese actions, and they're very predatory. You're talking loaning money to different nations, like uh, China has loaned America. Is that what we're seeing happen? Well, yes, and they, they loan it in terms of building infrastructure, like in Sri Lanka, which is to the southeast of, of India, uh, an adversary, obviously, of China. And by loaning the Sri Lankans uh, a lot of money for infrastructure for a port, uh, the Sri Lankans have failed to repay the Chinese, and therefore uh, the, the Sri Lankans were uh, obligated to sign over, basically, that entire port facility to the Chinese government. Uh, and we're seeing that elsewhere. We're seeing it in Pakistan. They're building a large facility. Uh, we're seeing it in, in various places in Africa, especially East Africa, uh, Djibouti, all the way down to Kenya, and on the West Coast as well. Uh, we're seeing it in Venezuela. We're seeing their activities in Argentina and Brazil. Uh, we're seeing, obviously, the, their activities throughout what we call Oceania, which are all the thousands of islands in the middle part of the South China Sea, and, of course, areas north of Australia. So around the world, to include Antarctica and Arctic, uh, the Chinese are uh, exercising a considerable leverage uh, with their uh, prowess economically, uh, but their military continues to ratchet up very quickly. Uh, and it's surpassing us in some cases, uh, but not uh, in all cases. Well, we can understand why that is a clear and present danger. Now, you've written several books. We don't have time to go through all of them, but would not we be focusing on a couple of your books as it relates to our conversation today, Future Wars and Alliance of Evil? That's right, Jimmy. Future Wars, of course, the things that we're seeing come out, especially in terms of hypersonic weapon systems, uh, the, the drone technology, the artificial intelligence, uh, and much, much more uh, is being you know, demonstrated every day in the newspapers, uh, and we're seeing test flights of it by uh, certain
certainly the Chinese and the Russians. And it's something that you know, has captured our attention, certainly in the Pentagon, and even the administration has made acknowledgement that, you know, we, you know, especially in hypersonics and artificial intelligence, uh, it's a real contest. And the nation that wins these contests will be the dominant nation in the world probably about 2050. 2050? 2050. Wow. That's not too far into the future when you really stop to think about it. These books, of course, available at Amazon.com? They are, Jimmy. And, uh, you know, I, they're, you know, even though I'm the author, they're, they're very well done, and they look forward to, you know, what we're seeing played out every day in the news. Well, I can tell you we've done television, radio with you. Whatever you talk about is very well researched and done effectively, communicated effectively as well. I would recommend Future Wars and Alliance of Evil. Go to Amazon.com. Colonel Bob McGinnis is the author. Bob, I would be amiss if I did not ask you about the president's pronouncement about the Golan Heights and Israeli sovereignty over it. Now, that's a, a key security location for Israel, and it looks like it could well be the entrance of Syria and Iran into Israel, could it not? Well, it is, Jimmy. As you know, I've been there a number of times, uh, even there with your son, Jimmy. And, you know, as you stand on the Golan and you look either towards Syria or you look down onto the Sea of Galilee, you understand, you know, the strategic location. And I just cannot imagine how the nation of Israel could ever uh, surrender that, uh, especially to the likes of, you know, Hezbollah, the, the Lebanese to the north, uh, and, of course, the Syrians to the east and north. Uh, and, and given that Iran is established itself, along with the Russians, in the area of Damascus, which is less than 50 miles from the Golan, you know, this is very precipitous for uh, the people in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. They understand the threat, and it's very legitimate. Uh, much like those rockets here recently that came from Gaza at the hands of Hamas, now, there are much more powerful rockets that are in the hands of Hezbollah and the IRGC that are outside of Damascus, and they could easily target virtually any target within Israel. And so that makes, I think, the Golan a very strategic location that must never be surrendered by uh, the Israeli government. And it would be a clear and present danger if indeed the Israelis, along with the United States, didn't keep a close watch on what's happening in Syria with Iran, with Russia there, and of course with the Syrian military as well. Bob, thank you for your work. Thank you for the books you write. It helps inform the body of Christ. And this is key information that we need to have. Thank you for your availability here on the broadcast with us. We'll look forward to another conversation. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Very interesting conversation with Colonel Bob McGinnis from the Pentagon and a man who is on top of all the military strategy in the world. He works at the Pentagon in that particular department, just returning from Hawaii, where they met with many of the military leaders of the world. Well, we're going back to Israel. We were there with David Dolan talking about the Middle East news update David had for us. 
Jim Jr., our oldest son, along with his brother Rick, are in the land of the Bible, and they are in that part of the world with a tour group teaching from the actual sites of some of the biblical events that took place and the prophetic scenario that's going to unfold. Jim, I just want the heartbeat of what the Israelis are saying about the pronouncement by President Trump as of about 48 hours ago uh, that uh, the Israeli sovereignty of the Golden Heights is an absolute and the United States calling for it. Boy, that is exciting news, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. And if you listen to all of the political pundits here as they are talking about the elections coming up, of course, everyone thinks that President Trump did that for his friend, Benjamin Netanyahu. But no one is looking at it as a bad thing. Everyone's looking at it as a fantastic deal. It is a very strategic location. We take our people there. In fact, when we take our groups up to the Golan Heights, we challenge them to call back to their congressman or their senator Mm. because no sitting president has ever been up there. Our government has been trying to force Israel to give the Golan Heights back. But now, with President Trump, the people are very excited. In fact, his approval ratings are very high here, and he is really stepping up uh, on the side of the Israelis in their fight against Iran and keeping them out of Syria. Yeah, that is an exciting bit of information coming from the White House. Key, I can remember that spot right there as we look across uh, down from the Golan Heights. There's Tiberias, there's the Sea of Galilee, providing a lot of the water for the entire state of Israel. It's a very high-security location. Well, Purim's been going on. Your hotel was right there on Ben Yehuda Street. Man, you guys were in the middle of the action, were you not? We were, uh, you know, part of Israel, uh, a large part of it, they do a lot of good deeds and they give a lot of charity at the time of Purim and they're celebrating. Where we were last night on Ben Yehuda Street, (laughs) they were really celebrating. And part of the holiday is that they uh, drink a lot to the point where they forget about what Haman was going to do to the Jews. But I tell you what, people were very excited last night with this announcement made by Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and Secretary of State Pompeo, and that even made the celebrating much more vigorous because it's a modern-day story of Esther happening right here before their eyes. Now, did they have clone costumes? I know the little children like to dress up like King Ahasuerus or Esther or Haman or whatever. Were they all dressed up down there? Yes. uh, It's not just biblical costumes. Uh, It's everything. In fact, this morning... As I was uh, getting ready to take part of our group to the airport about 4 o'clock in the morning, people were still (laughs) celebrating, still partying. I looked out the window and I told Rick, I said, look, I see Santa Claus down there. (laughs) Every costume that you can think of, that, that is exciting. Well, you guys ended up your travels today. Uh, getting ready to go over into Petra. You're there on the Red Sea. Petra is an amazingly beautiful city, one of the seven wonders of the world. But prophetically, it's very significant, isn't it? It sure is. You know, Dad, every place that we go in the country is prophetically significant. From Jerusalem to Tiberias to the Golan Heights to south to Eilat to the Red Sea and then to Petra, in the future, we know that that's the location 
that the Jewish people are going to be protected from the Antichrist as he tries to wipe them out. God protects them in that beautiful 25-square-mile Red Rock Canyon that's there in the city of Petra. And it's a great place to go to tell the story about how God is going to protect the Jewish people there. You know, folks, I've mentioned before, Jim and Rick and myself love teaching in the land of the Bible in Israel and over in southern Jordan as well at Petra because it's the greatest classroom we could have in the world. I mean, you're talking about this is what God's Word has to say, and man, you're standing on the spot where it did happen or is happening or will happen in the future, past, present, and future, prophetically. But you're staying in your hotel on the Red Sea. Now, as I understand it, uh, you're going to go out on a schooner, you're going to have a little barbecue out there, do some scuba diving, and uh, you're going to that amazing aquarium, are you not, before you come back and get on an airplane to come home? Yes, I tell our people always that this is the vacation part of the trip. We have basically been running in the footsteps of Jesus all across the country, and in the next day or two after we get back from Petra, we're just going to be able to go out on the Red Sea and, ex- and, and really enjoy God's creation. You know, that's exactly the way the children of Israel came when they were released from Egypt, the Exodus. They came exactly where Jim's hotel is. I mean, they could have thrown a rock at the hotel where Jim is staying right now some 3,500 years ago. Well, Jim, uh, tell everybody I'm so glad they came along with us and others can join us on a tour to Israel. I've tried to give a flavor through talking with you of how the trip unfolds for everybody. They can go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. They'll get all the information there. The tours, the dates when they're coming up, what the cost would be, the itinerary, all the details they need to come join us. And you would recommend that, would you not, James? I sure would, Dad. And let me just tell you, folks, we have more and more people calling every day. We do the VIP tours, and it's a personal tour designed just for you as you come over. And our folks have loved it. Every trip that we do with our VIP tours, they have loved Jim, have a very safe time and a great time. And Looking forward to you guys getting home. I need you to be at home. The old man needs to have some help here. But, indeed, I'm sure you've had a great time, and the people have enjoyed it so very much. So be safe as you make your way back home, son. Thank you, Dad. We're going to take a break. We've got David James standing by. There's a new movie out about did Moses, who came by the Red Sea over there near a lot, did Moses really write the Torah? the first five books of the Old Testament. You don't want to miss that conversation. Dave saw the documentary. He'll tell us all about it. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Violence against Christians doesn't matter. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. We'll dig into that question and find an answer in today's broadcast. Plus, perseverance is paying off in Greece. Stick around to learn why. And as you do, listen closely because there's a place for you in every story. First, you may have noticed that people are starting to wonder about the uneven media coverage of the New Zealand mosque shootings and any of the major church attacks in recent months. Open Doors' David Curry says, And you do get the sense that maybe killing Christians isn't such a big deal. That might seem like an overstatement, but it's hard to imagine why people are not covering this persecution of Christians to the scale at which it's happening. And we need to call the media to account and ask if they are 
prejudicially overlooking these attacks on Christians. In fact, persecution is on the rise to the tune of about 11 Christians dying every day for their faith in Christ. Curry says it could actually be more. When we talk about 11 Christians a day, we're really talking about only those we know for a fact have passed away. We don't know what's happened in some of these regimes where Christians just disappear. Rather than asking where's the outrage, he suggests being part of the solution. Stay informed, share the stories, and advocate on behalf of the persecuted church. We need to be prayerful, thoughtful about speaking up for them, about making sure our voice doesn't get drowned out in the cacophony of discussion about other issues, because we need to stand up for those people that are Christians who are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. Next, despite increasing challenges in the former Soviet Union, Slava Gospel Association is looking toward summer ministry. Churches supported by SGA will transition into summer camp mode just after Easter. SGA's Eric Mock says camps come with opportunities because they're a major part of local culture. And they come in many different forms. Some of the summer camps are day camps. Others do thematic camps. There'll be traveling camps. There'll be adventure camps. There'll be international camps that make you think that you've gone to another country. There's all kinds of different camps that they hold. Some are a week, some are two weeks in time. And what SGA does is we provide, um, through the gifts of many donors and sponsors, we provide scholarships for these kids to go to these camps. It costs 41 bucks to send a child to camp for a week. SGA's goal is to serve over 30,000 kids this summer. Would you help? When you're making a donation to SGA, you're not making a donation to a large organization that is going to another country and that we are the ones that are bringing the gospel. But instead... What we're doing is equipping the local indigenous church to be the disciple makers in all seasons of life and all seasons of the year. And AMG International is celebrating the 15th anniversary of its Cosmo Vision Center in Athens, Greece. The center has been a key location for ministry outreach on both the local and international level. AMG's Tassos Ioannidis says. We are just so thankful and grateful and appreciative of what God has done in the Cosmic Vision Center, which has exceeded all our expectations. I could not imagine 15 years ago that we would be where we are today. This is a unique time in history where people are coming to Greece from throughout the Middle East, and we have a chance to reach them, and the Cosmic Vision Center is playing a strategic role in that right now. Even the ongoing financial crisis hasn't limited the center's outreach. It has constrained the resources locally, but it also has given us new ministry opportunity to reach to the local church body through a variety of activities that are fairly inexpensive. God has used it in the lives of many people. The center is currently used to host missionary teams, Bible education programs, and youth activities. AMG's hoping to expand the Cosmo Vision Center soon. If you'd like to help or get details about the story, go to missionnews.org. And thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener-supported by people just like you. So you can join us here on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or podcast us on Amazon Alexa, iTunes, or TWR360. And together, the Great Commission happens. Look for links at missionnews.org. That's missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Great to be home for a couple of days. 
David James is standing by for our weekly conversation. It's going to be a very important documentary that David saw. He'll give us a review of what it was and how important it is to us. Did Moses really write the Torah? Or was that done by somebody else? That's all ahead here in just a moment. I want to remind you, I have a poll question on my website, prophecytoday.com. It's on the left-hand column of the home page. Scroll down, you'll find it. Here is the question for this week. In Joshua chapter 20 and verse 8, God gave the Golden Heights to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Do you think it's about time for a world leader for example, President Trump, to recognize that the Golden Heights does belong to Israel. Now, that's the poll question, kind of a political question related with what the president had to say this week. Again, that poll question on my homepage of my website on the left-hand column. Please go and answer the question. It's there at prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James, This week, David and I are discussing a brand new movie entitled Patterns of Evidence, The Moses Controversy. Now, this is a movie which David had a chance to be able to see earlier this week, and I thought after he talked to me about it, it would be an important topic for us to discuss here on Prophecy Today. David, actually, before we get into the details, maybe a brief summary of what the movie is all about would really help us. Sure. Well, it's uh, actually in documentary format, and it centers around this issue of the Moses controversy, as you mentioned. And that controversy is whether or not Moses was the actual author of the first five books of the Bible, the books that we know as the Pentateuch or as known as the Torah in the Hebrew Scriptures. And, of course, liberal theologians and scholars have for quite some time challenged the Mosaic authorship, actually going back to at least the mid-1700s, and criticism of Mosaic authorship actually has picked up steam and has been very prevalent in the academic community at large for the last a number of years. So I would say just one other thing, though, about the conclusion. Back when I was a Bible Institute student over 30 years ago, one of the popular books on apologetics was Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And uh, one of my theology teachers at Word of Life said, evidence cannot demand a verdict, it can only suggest a verdict. So I would say this, that even though this movie isn't necessarily conclusive, it offers some really good evidence that I think would be very helpful for all believers. David, if we were doing a book review, I would most likely ask you about who the author is. Give us a bit of background on him. Well, this is a movie, so can you tell us something about the filmmaker and what really got him started on this particular project? Well, he grew up in a conservative, Bible-believing Christian home. His mother read them the stories from the Bible that uh, all kids grow up with in in Christian homes, and uh, that would include the stories from the first five books of the Bible, and he just took it for granted that these were true. 
Then, as he developed in his education and background, he developed an interest in filmmaking, uh, actually founded a production company there in Minneapolis, uh, did commercials as well as worked on various film projects. And, and then he began to question, though, whether the stories that he grew up with actually were true. So he went to Egypt, and as he talked with various Egyptologists and archaeologists, uh, he had a crisis of faith and really began to doubt. So it set him on a 12-year journey of making his first film called Patterns of Evidence, The Exodus. So this is uh, the, this movie that we're talking about is the second in a series, and in fact, just 15 minutes before you and I started our conversation, I actually had uh, downloaded and watched that first film as well. Well, very interesting. So you have somewhat of uh, the filmmaker's background. Well, you know, when you look at what the broad academic community says about the mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch or the Torah, and that, by the way, would include scholars at liberal Christian institutions as well, uh, they are really downplaying the fact that Moses did write the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, as you think about it, and you've looked at the entire film, what are the main arguments for their views who deny Mosaic authorship of the Torah? Well, one of the classic main arguments is what's called the documentary hypothesis, which was started in the 1700s but popularized at the end of the 1800s by Julius Wellhausen, and that's the idea that there were at least four different groups of authors, and this goes back to textual criticism as a result of the Enlightenment and the skepticism toward the Word of God and, and that the Bible being a supernatural book, and they, they found what they believe to be four different, at least four different authors based upon style, uh, vocabulary, and things like that. Now, that has largely been discounted, but there are a lot of people who still rely on that. And then there's some internal evidence from what we would call and believe to be Moses' writings. For example, in Genesis 36, there's some Edomite kings listed that didn't live until after Moses was dead. At the end of Deuteronomy, for example, we have Moses' death recorded. And I would respond to those by saying, well, Moses did pen what I believe is virtually all of the Pentateuch, but of course there were those who later copied this over the years, and, and it's very possible that uh, some place names and other information, genealogical information, was just supplemented to uh, fill out some of the information to make it an historically accurate document for uh, later generation. So I don't think any of these things actually stand up to scrutiny, and there are conservative responses to all of those. Now, in the movie, The Moses Controversy, David, how does Tim Mahoney, who is the filmmaker, go about developing his case for supporting the conservative evangelical view that Moses actually did pen the five books traditionally, of course, attributed to him? One of the things that I didn't mention in the previous point was that another argument is that the writing of Hebrew as an alphabetic language did not develop until much later, several hundred years later, and so they say that Moses could not have been literate and he could not have used that that early Hebrew alphabetic system of writing. And so what the filmmaker does, Mahoney does, 
is to show that there are actually the Semitic languages, for example, Phoenician, Aramaic, and Canaanite, as well as Hebrew. He pushes the date back on the basis of several lines of evidence showing that this early, uh, you could call it a mother language of all these other Semitic languages, actually developed back somewhere between 1900 and 1700 B.C., making it very possible that Moses did write these books. And he also ties it to the Exodus, and this is based upon his earlier work, and shows that it's very possible, even likely, that in accordance with what the Bible says, the Exodus did occur in the mid-1400s B.C. So he makes a very good case, and in fact, he even shows that some inscriptions from uh, some copper mines and emerald mines in the Sinai Peninsula that were ancient Egyptian mines that along with the Egyptian hieroglyphics that there is actually an alphabetic text that is uh, shows up alongside them so that means that whoever did this was uh, whoever inscribed those in those mines actually was familiar and fluent in both Egyptian hieroglyphics as as well as this early Semitic language. Well, as I understand then, what you're saying is Moses would have been literate. He would have had Hebrew in an alphabet with it in order to be able to write these five books of the beginning of the Old Testament, the Torah. How important was the development of Hebrew then into an alphabetic language in the course of history? Well, I would go so far as to say God sovereignly introduced this into human civilization, and it would be impossible to overstate the importance of an alphabetic language. In fact, the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet are Aleph and Bet, which was where we get the term alphabetic language, even for our own alphabetic uh, language of English. Back over 3000 B.C., there was cuneiform in Mesopotamia. Of course, you have uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics, and then in the Far East, you have the Chinese systems of writing, but those are all pictographs. And so you have to learn thousands and thousands, at least hundreds, of different pictographic symbols in order to produce any kind of literature, and that you couldn't even necessarily call it, call it literature. And in fact, in the movie, he points out that if you were to write the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, in Egyptian hieroglyphics, it would be uh, many, many times longer, maybe dozens or hundreds of times longer than it currently is. So the alphabetic language reduced for example, in English, to 26 letters, Hebrew even less than that, you're able to write hundreds, even millions of different words in an alphabet. And importantly, when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is after 40 years in the wilderness wanderings, Moses tells the children of Israel to write these things down and to have them with them. So that means that the entire nation of Israel, at least a large percentage, was already literate, which would only have been possible through an alphabetic language because there's no way for the average person to learn all these pictographs. Well, and I had just mentioned that uh, I came to an understanding that Moses was literate. And when we were talking about the movie earlier, one of the things I thought was so very interesting was this issue of exactly how Moses might have become literate in this early writing system. 
Well, I would suggest, as the movie does, one possibility, and we can't confirm this on 100%, but Joseph, who came down to Egypt and saved the entire Egyptian empire through the dreams that God had given him, saved them from famine, uh, he was placed in second in power just below Pharaoh in all of the Egyptian uh, empire, which means that he would have put it, been in a position to learn both hieroglyphics, and apparently it's possible that he could have developed from the hieroglyphics an alphabetic system, and maybe this is something that God also revealed for the purpose of giving his revelation to mankind. And then 400 years later, Moses became a prince of Egypt, which means that he would too also have learned this language, which would have been studied and understood by the Egyptian priests and people who were in positions of authority. Even Pharaoh himself may have been fluent in both hieroglyphics and this new uh, alphabet language. So it's a very interesting possibilities. David, you told me the movie was about two and a half hours long. Obviously, we can only touch on just a few things it covers. So as we wrap it up, how important do you think it is for us to accept the mosaic authorship of the Torah, the Pentateuch, and the biblical record concerning the timing of the Exodus in history itself? Well, in John chapter 5, Jesus said that if you had believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. So Jesus quoted and believed that Moses was the author of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is quoted hundreds of times throughout the uh, New Testament, and both the Old Testament authors, the prophets, and the apostles all believe that Moses was the author of the Pentateuch, and it lays the foundation for everything we understand about the Bible, from the creation through the establishment of the nation of Israel, God's purposes in history, everything builds upon what uh, Moses recorded. Very, very interesting conversation. Therefore, I would ask, would you recommend people go see the movie? Well, I don't know if it's going to continue to be shown in theaters. It was a three-night run, but you can go to the website for Patterns of Evidence and pre-order the DVD. And also, the previous movie is available through Amazon, both as a DVD, and also if you have Amazon Prime, which I do, you can watch it, or either rent it or buy it directly on Amazon. Very interesting. I thought it would be great for us to have a discussion on this because the people out there, so many movies coming out, they're not quite sure what they should watch and what they should not watch, but uh, your recommendation is get a chance, go watch it. Thank you, David. We appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll look at all the current events in light of biblical prophecy as I take a look at the book, right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world 
and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. You know, it's amazing when these broadcast partners come to the broadcast table. I'm so excited to hear their reports. They have great reports on current events around this world, and then they give us insight into these events that will help us to recognize how these current activities are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, we have these weekly reports right here on the broadcast, and if you, for some reason, have to miss the reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, There, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There, you can listen to the archived and categorized reports from our weekly activities here on the broadcast. And be sure to tell a friend, give them the link to the location on the website where they'll be able to listen as well. This is key for understanding how God's Word is being played out in preparation for the fulfillment of all of those scenarios found in the prophetic passages of Scripture. Well, today we had reports from Ken Timmerman, for example. He talked about how Iran is preparing for a war with Israel. Now, they've been talking about that for a number of years, but they're now getting very serious and making great preparations in order to be able to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, which is actually what they have been calling for. They're now prepared. They're in Syria at Israel's northern border, actually some of them within two and a half miles of the northern border of Israel. You know, Ezekiel chapter 38 verse 5 says that Persia, well, that's modern-day Iran, that they will be a key player in that alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state. And remember, this is all religiously motivated. They are Islamic. They want to set up a worldwide caliphate, a Islamic kingdom. That's their plan. They're moving now, and they believe taking out Israel will be the first step in that plan. 
And then David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. Now, he's been a journalist in that region of the world for over 35 years, and he knows what is happening, how it's taking place, how key certain decisions by political leaders might be. For example, President Trump says the United States is now ready to recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. In fact, it's about time somebody did, when you go back in the Bible to the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 20 and verse 8, it says that when the Jewish people came into the promised land, the half-tribe of Manasseh was given the Golan Heights. Well, this is very important. And Donald Trump, as president, has made some key prophetic pronouncements that will assist in Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Remember, politically, he said that Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish nation of Israel. That coincides with Second Samuel chapter 5. They moved the U.S. embassy there. And I want to tell you, he is now saying that this move in Jerusalem is similar to his decision and pronouncement on the Golden Heights. It is key to Israeli security looking over the Hula Valley. That's a very productive agricultural location looking over the Sea of Galilee, providing about two-thirds of all the water taken in by Israelis across the state. It's a key location. And President Trump saying, United States going to recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Well, everybody else should be doing that as well. That's exactly what David Dolan reported to us. John Rood had an update on the European Union. Not much to talk about except Brexit, but then we did bring to the attention of everybody, Tony Blair is working to have a second referendum, giving the British people an opportunity to vote once again. They've seen what's been going on, what's happened, what the hindrances are. They may want to go back and vote again. But always remember, if Great Britain pulls out, that would make 28 states 27. 17 states want to get out of the European Union now. That leaves 10. That's the magic number for the book of Daniel chapter 7 and the revival of the Roman Empire. We went to the Pentagon to talk with Colonel Bob McGinnis. Bob works in the area of strategic planning at the Pentagon. He was just out in Hawaii meeting with some of the military leaders of other nations of the world. And in our conversation, Bob brought to our attention locations that are a clear and present danger to the United States. Well, this was very important information as we look at what the military options are for the United States. Great insight from Bob. You know, the United States is key to the safety of the Jewish state of Israel. They're partners together, key partners in this world today. But the Bible doesn't talk about the United States in Bible prophecy. Never mentions them. That means something has to happen to them prior to the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, and the second coming. What Bob and I were talking about, the clear and present dangers to the United States, may be one scenario that would take the United States off the world stage. Jim Jr. and I had a great conversation about our tour group. They were in the Golan. They realized the significance of the security that the Golan holds for the state of Israel. 
Then, of course, they went over to Petra, had a great time in Petra on the Red Sea. This is all very historic, but it's very prophetic. You need to come and go along with us on one of our tours to Israel. You'll be able to walk in the land. You'll see Israel pass. You'll touch Israel present and visualize Israel future at the location where it will all happen. Great conversation with Jim Jr. And then the movie review, Patterns of Evidence, The Moses Conspiracy, an interesting insight into the movie, the documentary given to us by David James. Well, everything that we have been talking about with my broadcast partners throughout this entire hour and a half, 90 minutes, which I ask you for at the very beginning, has been able to bring evidence, solid, tangible evidence to the table that would indicate we're walking in a time when the ancient Jewish prophets actually pre-wrote history. They laid out the prophetic scenario for the end times, and it looks like that's where we are today, which is all absolute tangible evidence that the rapture The next event on God's calendar of activities, the rapture, is about to happen. That rapture could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today.